So, prepare to meet thy God, my title for this morning. Where do we meet God? Where is the place that we know we can be in the presence of God? The Jews knew. The Jewish people knew where they could find God. Desi, if you give him time, would take you, and he has done some Sunday evenings here in an enlightening journey through the Old Testament, and you can see the places that God was going to be in the high mountains, the Ark of the Covenant, in the temple in Jerusalem. Hence the pilgrimages. Hence the pilgrimages that John mentions here in John chapter 2. We're on the lectionary and we're in the third Sunday in Lent and this is the lectionary reading for this year. It takes us away from Mark for a little period in the lectionary, though we're not uh, taking any time out in our congregational um, Lent studies. But Jesus is here because in Jerusalem, at the temple, because this is where you prepared to meet God. And in fact, those who were buying the doves and all the other animals around about were buying them in order to prepare to meet God. John chapter 2, there was a funny place for this incident to be written down in the gospel according to John. The synoptic gospels have this near the end of Jesus' ministry. In fact, this is the final battle with the authorities before Jesus is crucified. So what's it doing here in John chapter 2? Well, John is answering a question where we would go to meet God. The temple. Well, we read earlier in the service right at the outset those words that Jesus would share just two chapters on from chapter 2 in the gospel according to Luke. He's there with the woman at the well and uh, the woman says, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. Prepare to meet thy God in mountains. Um, But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Prepare to meet thy God in Jerusalem at the temple. Then Jesus said, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. John 2 is key to what happens in John chapter 4 and in fact unpacks some of the stuff we've heard in John chapter 1. The Jews um, uh, here in the, the, the passage that Francis read, Uh, The Jews are responding to Jesus. What sign can you show us to prove your authority? And Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And of course they think, oh, it's the temple. How could he possibly do that? It took 46 years to build that. But John points out to us in this reading today, the temple he has spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus has spoken. So these are things that were dropping into the disciples' lives that they weren't even getting at this stage. Seeing, but not seeing. 
that they were going to have to reflect on and it would come to them at a later time. Because right here in John chapter 2, wherever John puts it in his editorial, this is the temple shift. This is where the temple shifts from a building in Jerusalem that was destroyed in 70 AD, not rebuilt in three days, to the Jesus who was crucified in 33 AD, roughly, but was rebuilt and resurrected in three days. Jesus is declaring right here, he is the new temple. Prepare to meet thy God. If you want to meet God, then you meet God in Jesus. What Jack was chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh, moved into the neighborhood. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All these things, there it is, the temple. God's dwelling place with humanity. The place where the Lamb of God would be sacrificed now in Jesus. Not with doves or lambs, but through Christ. We're back to incarnation. We're back to the fact that God became human. And in God becoming human, the place that we meet God is not in ritual Not in the sacrifice we do on a weekly basis or an annual basis or whatever. Not a place that we would go to to find him. But in a relationship with a person who is 100% human and 100% divine. John's gospel, (coughs) never mind Revelation. Psychedelic stuff. I remember preaching on Revelation 19 in Fisherwick one night. The day before the, I think the 40th anniversary of Sergeant Pepper came out and, and, and thinking as I read, uh, Revelation 19 that this was, this was, this was everything. The 60s were prog-rock and everything else was thinking about. It was mad kind of uh, visionary stuff. And yet in Jones' psychedelic visionary otherness from the synoptics, he doesn't miss the grounding of Jesus being human. Jesus gets thirsty, has to sit down and get the drink. Jesus gets tired. Jesus washes people's feet. Jesus breaks bread. Jesus sweats blood. Jesus cooks fish. Jesus dies. Jesus lies in a tomb. Jesus is human. He is the word of God. He is God made flesh. He is the new temple. And what interested me this week is as I was reading that, Alongside, um, uh, my, uh, I take these moments out, which are usually, you'll know, um, to read something or listen to something. And I was reading about George Harrison this week because he would have been 75 last Sunday, the guitarist of the Beatles. And, um, he also was Eastern mystical in some of his spirituality, not all, but in a lot of it, most of it. And he had this idea that the flesh was some kind of obstruction. The flesh was some illusion or delusion and we really shouldn't have been interested in the flesh. We really need to get rid of the flesh. And as I read John or any of the Gospels or any Christian theology, what we understand is that in Judaism and in Christianity, the flesh is really important. God made us in his image. We were given flesh and blood. We were given bone 
we are human. And the humanity part of it, the flesh part of it, is not some distraction. But it's something that along with the soul part of it, is a holistic view of what God wants for us. It's all right to be human, because God himself was human. So how do we try and apply that in some sense? That has been my battle this week. And it really hasn't been coming too quickly. In fact, during the last hymn, I was still praying for some sense of application to this. We're in Lent. We're on this journey of Lent. As a congregation, we're looking at Mark. We think about some of those people that Jesus met that opposed him tonight. We'll be thinking next week and during the week about seeing but not seeing. What is what what does it mean to know that God is now in Jesus? What does this passage tell us as we journey through Lent in our discipleship? Well, my first question would be, where do you meet God? Where have we met God this week? Where does God interrupt your world? It's a good question. Because we might be a wee bit like the Jews before Jesus came to shift the temple. We might think that the only place we meet God's here. Or we might think that we meet God in our good works, but we good Protestant evangelicals have said that it's not about good works, it's about grace through faith. But in some ways then we might find that we meet God in our magic words of soundness. Some kind of liturgical prayer we prayed somewhere once that we think caused us to meet with God. Or maybe our perfect correct theology, knowing that we have the perfect theology. And all those things in some ways, they're all good. I'm not knocking any of them. I'm not knocking good works. I'm not knocking that we understand how we um, pray to God to engage with God and find God in our lives. I'm, I'm not knocking that we, would, we should seek after good theology or that we should come to church. But they're all kind of functional things that are not actually the real deal. The real deal is meeting with this Jesus. This Jesus who's outside of the box. This Jesus who, if you were going to the temple and you bought that there and you did that there and then somebody did that there, it's actually quite comforting and familiar because after a while you go through the ritual and you know the ritual and you're familiar with the ritual and there's something warm about the ritual and you know you've dealt with it. But the Jesus that appears among the disciples just sends it off. When we're familiar and comfortable, there's always discomfort. And collide. In the midst of the caress, there's always collide. There's always the challenge to our lives. Where do we meet God? And have we met God recently? And is God meeting with us? Or are we looking in the wrong places? Where are we meeting God? Where is God interrupting how we're living to send us off in another direction? Or, and here's another challenge. Are people meeting God in us? Now I know we have to go out of John and we have to go into Acts chapter 2 to find that actually the Holy Spirit comes down no longer on a mountain or no longer in an Ark of Covenant or no longer in a temple but in the disciples themselves. I know that's a leap. But if people are wanting to meet God this week did they meet God in you 
or in me? Did I offer myself? Was I available? I, uh, last Sunday night was very helpful for me because I was struggling with a, a pause for thought I had to do this week. Pause for thought give you these titles. I should actually send them out to you and you can give me a few clues as to what to do. The next one's pretty tricky as well. But the one I had for last week was characters, my favourite book character. That seems really easy. When they sent that over I thought, favourite book character, <laughs> no bother. Except I realised that most of the books I read are kind of rock biographies or uh, theology or um, uh, stuff about Uganda or Ireland and really... They, that's not, they were looking for some fictional character. So, and, and I was lost in this. I was going through all my David Park and all my Douglas Copeland, and I was, I was trying to. There must be somebody in here that could give me that Jesus punchline, you know. Because if you're doing pause for thought, you you need to do your reading, you need to get it done, and then you need to think right a re punchline here that makes it spiritual. So I was thinking of all these characters, and I was coming up with nothing. And then Stephen McElwain, the great enlightening, revelatory Stephen McElwain, mentioned something when we were in our discussion group last Sunday night. And I suddenly went, Joshua. Now, I don't know whether you've read Joshua. Joshua is a fictional book about Jesus coming to America in, I think, around the 80s. Um, Patrick Gerzon, a retired uh, priest, has written this book. And he's got a series of them, Jesus and, or Joshua in the Promised Land and, uh, and all kinds of things. But Joshua, the main one, is a real brilliant book. But it's about Jesus. So I was able to do a, a, a favorite character that didn't inspire me to Jesus, but was inspired by Jesus. And that was a wee twist that I got away with it. But the bottom line about Joshua is this. The key thing about Joshua is this. When you read the book, you meet with God. In a real sense, you meet with God. And when you read the book, you think, I want a Joshua in my life. Joshua's the guy, he comes as a carpenter, needless to say. Small town America in the 80s. He's a bit out there, needless to say. Um, and then he's 2,000 years old, obviously. Not, not physically. But, um, so he goes into the, he goes into the synagogue to do some carpentry for them. And he explains perfectly what's in the synagogue. Because he made it up. And then he goes to the Elam church and they have a big thing up and he explains it perfectly to them and people are a bit suspicious of his theological knowledge. And uh, But that's not the thing that really grabbed my attention. What grabbed my attention the whole way through the book was the time that he had for people. Somebody would come when he was on the way out the door and he wouldn't need to go out the door. He would invite them in. Or somebody would come by when he was doing some work that he needed to do but he would always be able to stop the work. But more than the time he had for people, the insights he had into people's lives. Because he was who he was, he was able to look into their lives and he was able to speak wisdom into their lives. And so you come to the end of the book, and like many other books, but particularly this one, I didn't want the book to end because I sensed that as I read the book, the Jesus that was on the pages of the book in Joshua was somehow coming off the pages into my own life. I met God in the writing of Patrick Gerzon through this character, Joshua. But as I think about this, that this week, I'm thinking about the people in our lives in the past week, or maybe more important, the people in our lives in the week to come who need to meet God and the Holy Spirit is within us. So the Fullertons, as the week goes on, 
Is there any way we could be God to them as their congregation at a time when they need? Phyllis, who with Dennis sat in those back pews for so many years and is there some way we could is there some way this week that they're going to meet God in the congregation of Fitzroy or as Natalie was talking about very challengingly in a a Fitzroy family focus about that homeless person that we dehumanise by saying they're drunk or they're on the make or they're a druggie But actually, as Natalie perfectly put it, if we look right through, we see the image of God. We see someone that God loves. Where are they going to meet God this week? It wasn't going to be easy for them in the days of Jesus because it wasn't likely that they would get to the temple. But this week, this week God's going to walk past regularly. Because if the Holy Spirit lives within us, then as we walk past, they can meet God in the time that we have for them, in the warmth that we have for them, and in the practical interruption of their lives that we can bring. Yeah, Jesus is changing everything here, but here's the encouraging thing. They don't get it. Not for a while anyway. I was wondering when. Now it says in John chapter to where we've read that after his resurrection they got it. But I wonder if some of them didn't even get it after the temple was destroyed. Ah! That's what he meant. Oh my goodness! That's what he wanted me to do. Oh my goodness! I missed it at the time. In Lent, as we go through this week, seeing but not seeing. Let's be encouraged that in this journey of faith that we don't always get it immediately. But God might bring back to us in the week ahead or in years ahead something that he wants us to know that he's already dropped into our lives that will become apparent further down the road. But in the meantime, where are we meeting God? And who's meeting God through us? Prepare to meet thy God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the word made flesh. We thank you that he came into our community. We thank you that we don't need to go to a temple. We thank you for the meekness and the majesty. We thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you that we can meet God every moment of every day in the spirit and in truth. Because of Jesus. But then Lord. Where will others meet God? Who will interrupt their lives with your grace? Who will interrupt their lives. With practical change. Lord as the spirit was poured out on us your followers. On us your church. In Belfast this week, God will be all over the place. Show us, Lord, where you want people to meet God through us.
and give us your patience, your grace, your compassion, your discernment and your wisdom as God meets others through us. May it be so, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.